Educators want to stay fresh with literacy instruction, but are so busy with students, they don't always have the time. All year long, Choice Literacy publishes and delivers the best K-12 literacy practices so that educators can grow their students as readers and writers with choice in literacy. Welcome to the Big Fresh Choice Literacy Podcast. I'm Ruth Ayers. The Power of Discussion Unusual friendships can be the most powerful of all from Apple and Magnolia. In April, the Choice Literacy Book Club read Apple and Magnolia. We met via Zoom to discuss the book. You can listen to the conversation on the podcast this week, but something happened to me because of that conversation. I was revived. Stephanie Affinito selected Apple and Magnolia because of the hope it offers as we stumble to find our footing in establishing or reestablishing connections that were halted because of COVID. In the book, Nana offers wise advice to the young protagonist, Britta. Unusual friendships can be the most powerful of all. Three months ago, life threw me a curveball. Not only did I break my ankle on an icy winter day, but it was severely damaged grounding me to elevate and ice it through spring. My summer dream is that by July, I can begin running and hiking again. In the fall, I will have another surgery. As much as I intend to embrace the healing process with grace and strengthen the fibers of gratitude in my life, it has been a difficult season of immobility and recovery. Who knew a book about trees and friendship could ease the discomfort? It wasn't just the book, though. It was the conversation. When we take the time for discussion, understandings about text are deepened, but so are understandings about the world and ourselves. It is easy to believe we don't have time for discussions about books or other things. It is easy to believe we don't have time in our professional lives or personal lives. Perhaps this is the greatest lie of the times the lie of not enough time. In the book, things became dark for Magnolia as her leaves turned yellow and didn't return at the expected time in the spring. Britta decided to nourish the connection between Apple and Magnolia, looping an old-fashioned, homemade telephone of two cans connected by a string around their branches. She made a scarf that connected their trunks. She strung lights through the treetops. And she waited. In Atlas of the Heart, Brene Brown asserts that hope is a result of adversity. Without discomfort, we would not have hope. Recent statistics reveal that more than any other time in history, humans are feeling anxious and lonely. We feel disconnected. We can also feel hope. It is time to reach out and establish a connection. Even a wisp of a thread is enough. If you need more encouragement, I suggest reading Apple and Magnolia and then having a conversation about the way unusual friendships can be the most powerful of all. This week, we offer the first of two installments about ways to deepen discussion in our classrooms, plus more, as always. Let's believe that there is time to do this work.
I am so excited to share with you a brand new course called Jump in the Pool, Playing Around with Reader's Notebooks with Christy Rush Levine. This course is designed to help us teach students how to create thoughtful and meaningful responses to text. Christy shares more than 20 of her own mentor entries right from her notebook as well as inspiring text. You will learn how to engage students in creating substantive responses and deep analysis of text. It is a fabulous course and is free for our Literacy Leader and Literacy Team members. This week in the Classic Classroom section, Dana Murphy shares an article that guides us in listening and responding to students during strategy building lessons to grow readers. In this article, Dana shows the complexity and nuances of direct instruction to build comprehension strategies. Jen Vincent strengthens the authenticity of a share session and writing workshop by building and tending to the relationships that honor a circle process. And Tammy Mulligan shares ways she is pushing the envelope and offering students choice in interactive read aloud in a video from the Empowering Choice 2021 Elementary Contributor Course. We bring back an encore video from Amy Buckner where she's teaching fourth graders the power of rereading by using the mentor text, Goblins in the Castle. In the Leader's Lounge, Gigi McAllister explores ways morning rounds will help instructional coaches stay accessible and connected to teachers. We also offer a new PD to go with a session that answers the question, how do you help students think more deeply about character traits? It pairs a conference led by Claire Landrigan with an article by Gigi McAllister. This week, there's an encore video from literacy coach Kathy Provost, where she leads a team of third grade teachers as they discuss using a rate your post-it visual tool in their classrooms. Our free for all is chocked full of resources that will help you if you decide to use Apple and Magnolia in your classroom. Don't miss our podcast conversation from the book club. There's also a publisher's guide to Apple and Magnolia that is filled with nonfiction articles about trees as well as discussion questions to deepen conversations. Stephanie Affinito wrote a book review about Apple and Magnolia on the Teacher's Books Reader's Blog. There's a discussion quote collection to give you something to talk about if you're pondering speaking and listening. And finally, we share an article from Gretchen Schrader where she shares some conversation fixes for when talk goes awry in her high school classroom. I'm so excited to talk about Apple and Magnolia. Uh, it's a picture book that Stephanie Affinito chose for our book club conversation this, this month. And the reason why she chose it, uh, Stephanie had said, was because she's still feeling so disconnected um, due to COVID. And that this book is one that kind of offers hope of connection. 
Um, I don't know if you saw Stephanie's lead on the Big Fresh this past week, but it was all about like what's next now that things are kind of opening up, but then how do we find the footing of just connecting to people again? And I really love that idea of this picture book giving hope for this, 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 this place that a lot of us are um, right now as we're, we're looking for connection and trying to figure that out. So um, just kind of that was, that was the reason why, one of the reasons why Stephanie had chosen this book. And I'm really looking forward just to hearing what people are thinking about it and what's on your mind and if there's some things that you wanted to talk about with the group. Well, I'll jump in. Um, I felt like the the theme of connection just was beautiful in the book between the trees, but I also just love the connection between the little girl and the grandmother. Um, I felt like there was this just connection of belief in, in what someone's saying um, and trust and thought that came through so beautifully in the book. I agree, Tammy. I just loved, um, I loved this book for so many reasons. And I agree, um, just that connection between the grandma and the little girl really stood out and her, the grandma continuing to say, um, you know, unusual relationships are sometimes the most powerful, brought up a lot of conversation with my students of what unusual relationships are. You know, I asked them, I said, do you think that friendship between the grandma and the little girl is unusual? And for sure it wasn't to, to my students. And so asking them, well, what, what do you think would be an unusual relationship was really fun to explore and see what they would say, because really it's perspective, you know, for some people, a close relationship with the grandma did feel unusual. So I just loved that whole um, opening to have that conversation with them. I love that conversation, Bitsy. I also, um, Tammy was talking about the connection um, between the girl and the grandma standing out to her. And I also think, even though it reads as kind of an anti-connection, the connection with the sister um, is just a delicious connection in the book. The way that um, every time Bronwyn says not as nicely, but you can almost count on that Bronwyn is going to have a, a sort of a negative response. Um, which I think is a connection that a lot of young readers can appreciate. Like that's going to be the same as um, some of the connections they have in their worlds, even with somebody that you love dearly, that you know loves you dearly. Um, there are going to be times when that doesn't come across quite the way you want it to. Um, so I even loved that. She's almost like, I consider her a little bit of like a foil character where she's kind of the opposite of the hopeful um, Britta, who is like just pulling for these trees and the sister is like, mm -mm, no, no way, nothing is going to happen. It's like the opposite of the hope, which as a reader then gives you something. She's like our little villain in the story. Like, no, no, she's, we're going to prove her wrong. And then it was just delicious that we did and that we we're like, yes, Britta and Nana win. <laughs> You know, Christy, I didn't think of that connection, but I, I, I just appreciate you pointing that out because you're right. And I think that's the connection that kids are going to relate to so well that you're right, that these there's people in their lives that they love so dearly and they fight with all the time. <laughs> right. And so that push and pull is, is perfect. I've been reading uh, Brene Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart. 
And um, in, in that, she's going through all these different things. But the thing that has been, that struck me in that book that just keeps making, that keeps making me think of Apple and Magnolia. Well, there were a couple of things, but one was this idea of hope and that we can't have hope if there's not um, adversity. And that adversity is almost like this, um, just it necessitates hope or, and so I've been, I've just been thinking a lot about hope um, in my own life. It's been a theme in my writing. And then when I was reading Atlas of the Heart and I was thinking about this, how um, like the word hope, it doesn't come until the very end of the book. And it's like, as she's, um, it, it's as she's measuring, like if the trees are coming closer and um, the measurements were definitely getting smaller. And then the text says, and deep down in our heart, Britta felt a seed of hope start to grow. And I was just like thinking, I've been really stirring a lot of thoughts about hope and in this book. And then when I was thinking about the reason why Steph Stephanie chose this book uh, was because of hope. Um, it just made me think about how the smallest things in the midst of what can feel like this huge tragedy, um, that's that's where we find hope. Um, so I don't, I'm still wrestling with a lot of that, but I, I found it interesting. And then just Nana, um, definitely what um, Kylene and Bob would call a words of the wiser sort of character um, here. But Stephanie, one of the things that she was kind of curious about and wanting to hear us talk about was like, do we have any nanas in our lives or are there somebody that we can be, are there people that we can be a nana to? And so I'm just, I'm curious about your thoughts there. Like who's the nana in your life or are you a nana to somebody? Ruth, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is actually my own grandmother who passed away many years ago, but she was that person to me. So when I read this book, it just reminded me of her. And I guess my hope is that in the classroom, I'm that person to kids. And I don't know, as you say, that makes me want to, you know, kind of check myself and reflect on that, you know, in my everyday comments, am I making kids, you know, feel that they're their ideas are, are special and powerful and, and they have hope within them. I, I think that um, just like you said, that's your hope in the classroom. I think it, the truth of it is that we're all a nana sometimes to some people and that sometimes we fall into that Bronwyn role. Um, and that's, you know, it sort of ebbs and flows. I recently had an opportunity um, to, to be a Nana to some colleagues. And that's a place where I think we need, we need more of that. Um, but I went home that day knowing like this was the me I want to be. So I know when I feel like I'm a Nana, that's the role I'd hope to fulfill all the time. But I know, unfortunately, there are times when I <laughs> am maybe not quite the Nana in the story. Mm -hmm. Well, when I, I love in the story that Britta was like the Nana to the trees, you know, like kind of to, oh. you know, like she did the same thing for the trees that her grandmother was doing for her, that Nana was doing for her. And I think that's fun for the really young children that I teach to think of nurturing things that aren't, um, you know, fellow humans. I want them to nurture that too, but kind of looking at, um, 
being a Nana to, you know, to the earth or to things around us and how we can care and nurture for things, nurture things that we have relationships with. Um, but I also love, um, Christy, what you were saying about colleagues. That's what I've been thinking too, is how I think we need to be, um, just Nana's to each other and, um, encouraging and helping. And like you say, sometimes we really are. And certainly sometimes we're in that Bronwyn mode, <laughs> which is not certainly where I want to be, but, um, but just really being aware and, and thinking about who also is nurturing us, you know, who's, which of colleagues are, um, Nana's and what does that look like and, um, how to replicate that. I wanted to talk too about um, the illustrations, Ruth, when you said we don't have hope without adversity, immediately the dark illustrations came to mind um, because when Magnolia starts to lose leaves and turns gray and patchy, um, the illustration, the, the sky really gets dark behind Magnolia. And then even when Britta comes in and the door is cracked open, you see the night um, from outside that's sort of still hanging over her. And it's not until there begins to be some hope that things will improve that the illustrations lighten again in the background, um, which I thought was just a, a very visual way to get across that idea of like seasons of darkness in our lives and that adversity that we face. Yeah, and Christy, so after those dark pages, and then there's the page where she strings the lights between the trees. I find that uh, page fascinating because Bron Bronwyn's there with her guitar and, yeah. like, and the dad is there. He's serving, like there's a meal. So people who can't see this, there's strings between, there's lights between the trees. And then there's like this meal happening with the family. And Nana is there with the dog, Bronwyn, and the dad. And so it's like these actions are supportive and encouraging and offering hope. And yet the, the words aren't. And so it's that tension. Of, I, it just made me think like sometimes when, when the darkness closes in, it feels really hard to have the right words. But sometimes we can still show up, which is what it feels to me like Bronwyn is doing in this, this picture is like she's showing up. Um, there yeah, Ruth, I, I agree. Cause I felt like the, right. The, the illustration is showing such hopefulness in everyone's actions, right. That, that people are together and that you care about the person, even though they disagree about what, he, what, what they're saying to each other, you know, this idea of the trees, but they're still showing up because they care about that person. Mm -hmm. And that's that push pull Christy that you brought up with Bronwyn. It's lovely. There's another aspect of that illustration you were talking about, Ruth, um, that I've been, I keep going back through the book to check it out because I'm not sure it's true all of the time, but it seemed to me that the illustrations when they're outside are in full color. And then when they're inside, sometimes when it's the objects that represent the setting are only in outline form. Like they're not fully colored, almost like it's just the suggestion of that indoor setting. And in that um, illustration you mentioned when they're outside and we can see the actions at the dinner table, um, a lot of the inside objects again are just outlined and it's the rich full color when it's outside. And I saw too 
in a, at least a couple of the illustrations that when inside objects come outside, they're still the things that are outlined, almost like reinforcing the richness that nature brings into our lives. And um, I'm not sure if it's true through every illustration in the whole book, but it just seemed to be um, a pattern that there were more often the indoor objects were, you know, man-made objects were just an outline form. Now I have you wondering about it. <laughs> you do, I'm, I'm like flipping through the pages because I didn't notice that at all. And I, I can see it now that you've said it. So thank you for that. I'm also a big fan of the end papers like the papers connecting the book to the cover and that at the beginning they seem to be more suggestive of the apple tree and at the end more suggestive of the magnolia blooms um and i also loved like it's the dog at the beginning on the end pages the cat at the end on the end pages because you have that sort of thread of the unusual friendship between the trees and there's also through the book this unusual friendship between the dog and cat <laughs> too um, represented and I love all of those things like support our feelings through the story and we don't necessarily even notice that we're interpreting them um, but I thought it would be a neat question for young readers like why why do they think the end papers go in that order where it's apple first and then magnolia um, which could just be the title but then even in the title why does it go in that order um, I think it'd be interesting to see what young readers notice what they have to say Christy, I was looking at the end pages because, you know, through time, I know it's something that that you enjoy noticing and and looking at. And so I was kind of looking at them thinking, I wonder what I wonder what she's going to say about it. And I didn't have anything nearly as clever as what you just did. But it led me to look at the title page. And I was so intrigued by the trees on the title page because they're not they're not in color. And it just, I was thinking, well, wait, the end pages are in color and throughout they're in color, but here on the, the title page, they're not. Did you have a thought about that? I noticed even the title isn't in color in that page. And on the, on the front cover, I was admiring how the, the title letters and the apples are like a glossier paint. So there's almost like a kinesthetic, um, a sort of a pleasing kinesthetic feel to them. Um, and I don't know, like the thread there is in color, which is interesting to me, but I'm not sure. I also on that page noticed like the author's note is tucked there. I got to the end and was looking for an author's note, but I completely missed it at the beginning. And it's a gem. Like I was thinking about the scientific information about trees kind of underlying this friendship and so I was so glad when I found when I went back and saw that oh, there is an author's note about that um but no I don't know about the the black and white at the beginning maybe it builds tension like you're waiting to <laughs> the color doesn't come yet there the publisher offers this great um like conversation guide and it's a link that I'll share um, with this, but it gives some of like, it gives a couple scientific articles 
that go along with this to help us understand more of the science behind trees and how this, this story is really rooted in some truth about trees. And then um, just some, you know, conversations to have with kids. So it's really a great resource um, to take a look at. Yeah, I loved the science part of it. Um, I loved the story, but then I think that science understanding how trees talk to each other is fairly newer. Um, I don't know any dates on it, but I feel like more and more kids books are coming out with um, that kind of information. And I gravitate towards books about trees anyway. So having it roll into a fiction story, but with factual is so fun. And I think um, it's hard for students about my age anyway, um, to grasp that trees really can communicate through their roots and the importance of, um, all of the growth around them and how they respond to it and how they warn each other. So I loved having this book because I, we read that author's note first, read the book and then looked up some information in some of the other books that we have. And it's fascinating. So resources like that, and especially for students to realize this is newer science, they're just figuring that out. Um, how that, how science works, you know, that we're still learning and we're still, there's still so much mystery in, um, you know, all over the world, of course. Um, the Wisdom of Trees by Lita Judge came to mind. Do you know that one? Same, yes. Yeah, because that's a, more of like a nonfiction that could pair well with it. Absolutely. And the other new one that's come out is The Magic and Mystery of Trees um, by Jen Green. But that Lita Judge's came into mind too. So here at the end of the conversation, let's just go around and introduce yourself, um, where you spend your days, um, what state you're in, um, and just any final thoughts or some thinking that you're still doing about the book. Um, I'm Bitsy Parks. I teach first grade in Beaverton, Oregon. And um, I loved this book and was so excited when Stephanie chose it. And I tried really hard to read it really slow. I tend to read books fast when they come and then slow down when I'm reading it to my students. Um, I feel like Christy is really teaching me to slow down. And I found out this time I could have even slowed down more because I learned great things about those end papers and thinking about things like that. So I appreciate every time we meet. Um, just new things I can think about, um, even with Apple and Magnolia. I'm Tammy Mulligan. I teach second grade in Lincoln, Massachusetts on the um, on Air Force Base. And I this book was completely new to me. So I was happy to join in the conversation today. And I'm really looking forward to reading it with the kids. I, I very much appreciated the author's note up front. And it changed my mind a little bit about, I often read author's notes at the end of a book when they're there, but it changed my mind a little bit about reading that first to kids um, and thinking so that perhaps when we're reading it, they're thinking about what the author said. Let's listen. I'm Christy Rush Levine. I teach sixth grade language arts in the Southwest suburb of Chicago in Illinois. Um, and one of the things that I am interested in doing with the book is getting using it as a springboard for kids to think about, like Bitsy said, unusual friendships, um, especially between um, humans. Um, I think that's kind of a fun twist on it to get them to think about different kinds of relationships um, in our world. 
My name is Ruth Ayers. I am in Northern Indiana and I'm the editor at Choice Literacy. Um, a couple things that I wanna think more about. Um, I, I love the cover and um, I'm thinking about that multicolored string that's kind of connecting the trees and then how on the title page, it's, it's the only color is that string that's connecting them. And just thinking about how sometimes connections can seem um, flimsy or thin, but yet they end up being really powerful. So just um, that's one thing that I'm thinking about. Um, as far as with kids, one of the things that I love to help kids understand when they're writing, uh, when they're writing narrative, so when they're writing story, is that if they know some facts about things or if they research something in nature, it oftentimes can influence their stories in really powerful ways when they learn something. And I think that this is just a great example to make that come alive um, for for kids of all ages. But I'm thinking even older kids helping them see like when we know this science behind and the facts behind um, just how trees work, how that can make a richer story. So I'm really excited um, to have this to, for teaching writers. Um, I think that's exciting. So um, thanks for joining this conversation. Next month, uh, Gwen Blumberg she selected a graphic novel for us to read together, When Stars Are Scattered. Um, who knows this book? I do, yeah. Yeah, I everybody well. um, is familiar with it and I, it's going to be a new book for me. So I'm super excited about it, um, but that's what we'll be reading um, with the Choice Literacy Book Club come next month. So um, I'm looking forward to grabbing a copy of that. At Choice Literacy, we know that you want to be an educator who makes students' lives better through literacy. In order to do that, you need access to comprehensive literacy practices delivered in a way you will actually use. With over 150 in-the-field contributors, we understand the pressure to reach a variety of needs and not enough time to do it which is why we hold true to workshop tenets like choice and share practical ways to plan and deliver literacy instruction straight to the point of student need. You can find links to all of the articles discussed in the show notes or sign up for the Big Fresh so you can have the links delivered directly to your inbox. Keep growing readers and writers by offering choice in literacy.